The advice and informational content does not necessarily represent the views of Mother's Market and Kitchen. Mother's recommends consulting your health professional for your personal medical condition. Hello, I'm Kimberly King, and welcome to the Mother's Market Podcast, a show dedicated to the truth, beauty, and goodness of the human condition. On today's show, a lot of our digestive issues begin with the gut, and those gut problems, they can affect many other parts of your body. So listen close and get the latest info on how you can protect yourself. Plus, later we'll tell you what's going on around town. But first up, Dr. Daniel Roney is a chiropractor of functional medicine specialist at the Center for New Medicine in Irvine. He has an undergraduate degree in biology and sports medicine. Upon completion of his chiropractic degree, he began to pursue courses in a new field called functional medicine. That experience changed his life. He learned how to heal a person at the cellular level from the inside out. And he's taken those experiences to expand into many different areas of alternative medicine. And we welcome him to the Mother's Market Podcast. Dr. Roney, how are you? Yeah, I'm doing well. Yeah, that was great. That was a great intro. Well, it's you. (laughs) (laughs) Why don't you fill our audience in a little bit on your mission and your work before we get to today's show topic? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I basically got into alternative healthcare. I worked in hospitals in the 90s doing rehab. Mm. And what you saw was a lot of the the sick care. Mm. And that experience kind of opened my eyes to how sick of a nation I think we were becoming or we were even at the time. And so I, I made a decision that I wanted to be on the other end of the spectrum. I wanted to try to do the preventative care. I felt we were doing a good job with sick care, mm-hmm. but I didn't know personally anyway. I didn't think we were doing a good enough job of the preventative care. And you know, you learn the prevention is always easier than the cure. Yeah. quite frankly. So um, that experience was uh, a big deal. It helped solidify my, I guess, my constitution in the preventative side. Later in that, in the 90s, my father passed away from lung cancer. And he, he, we had a conversation where he basically said he regretted not taking better care of himself. Mm. And he's 53, you know, facing mortality, um, wow. strong guy, Vietnam vet, you know, one of those tough guys. And he just had that regret and the pain mm. that he had was, I think, worse than anything I've seen. Wow. So that even made it, uh, I guess, more of a conviction that, okay, this is the right way to go. I was early in my chiropractic career uh, as far as schooling. So I didn't have the means to help him. I didn't know enough. I didn't know have enough resources. And so I, I guess those two experiences really led me down that path of, okay, this is what we need to do. You know, we need to, we need to have more preventative. We need to have, we have plenty of sick care yeah. and we're doing it. We're doing a, a good job with that, but we just needed more preventative care. And that just solidified, mm-hmm. you know, the constitution and the mission. Well, I'm sorry about your father. And he was so young. You said, yeah, I, I know. Oh I, my gosh. I, I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, so I can see your passion and today we're talking about gut health. And so Dr. Roney, how do I know if I have poor gut health? Ah, great question. Uh, okay. So a lot of times we'll have uh, a patient fill out intake forms, right? Mm-hmm. And the intake forms are geared towards breaking the digestive system down into the stomach, the small intestine, the large intestine. So keeping it simple, if we start in the stomach, if we have reflux, right? If we get bloating, if we have irritability consistently, uh, if we have uh, diarrhea, uh, constipation, etc., we know kind of right away that there's something going on. Now, those things happen once in a while. You know, we eat something, didn't agree with us, we get that. But these are more of the consistent symptoms that we're looking for. So if we're dealing with some of those, we know there's something going on that at least warrants further looking at. 
Oh, that's good. And so what issues do you see with the gut then? What stands out? Yeah, so we'll see, starting again with the stomach, we'll see uh, reflux. So um, a GERD, gast, um, you know, reflux disease, gastrointestinal reflux disease, um, heartburn is the, mm-hmm. is the common name for it. So we'll see that. We'll see, um, again, bloating, irritability as symptoms, but then we could see a problem with the, what they call the microbiome, where the bacteria levels, the good and bad, are uh, in poor ratio. Uh, we could see something called leaky gut, mm-hmm. which is a, a, a synonym is intestinal permeability. Um, we could see infections in the gut. So, yeah, the, the, it, it's pretty broad as far as what we could see. Uh, but those are some of the things that we see consistently. And at this point, do you offer blood tests or like what's that next? Le- yeah, next great, great question. So what we'll do is, is depending on the area of involvement, right? Say it's the stomach. Well, one of the most common reasons for reflux is uh, a bacterial infection called H. pylori. So we'll do an H. pylori test if we see reflux. Now that could, it could come back negative. Uh, it, but they're still having this problem. It could be an issue with digestive enzymes. It could be an issue with um, the hydrochloric acid levels, either being too high or too low. Um, so we might problem solve initially conservatively. If we're not getting anywhere with that, we may order an endoscopy, which is basically an upper GI study where they put a camera down and they go in and look to see what's going on. So we try to handle it conservatively based on what the research says are the most common issues. And then getting into the stomach, uh, we'll, if we have infections or we think there might be infections going on, we could do stool testing. And the stool testing is going to look for things like parasites and worms, candida, fungal infections, etc. Some of these more common issues, right? We see that we see faces being made, right? You can't see it here when you're at the radio here, but yeah. but yeah, it's like ooh, right? <laughs> the reality is we're eating out more and more these days. Yeah. And because of the way the food is handled or we really don't know quite frankly how it's handled, uh, we're seeing more and more of these mm. infections. Now I will say if our health overall is strong and good and our immune system is, is strong we, and our digestive system is strong, we have a good chance of just getting rid of those. They become self-limiting, but when we start to have gut compromise, then those uh, infections become more prevalent in a person. You know, and this leads me to my next question. So how can that poor gut health affect our overall health? Yeah. Okay. So one of the things that will start to happen is we'll, we're going to get inflammation in the body, right? So if our gut health breaks down, and think about this, the digestive system is one of the barrier systems in our body. It's designed to protect us from our external environment. So when we're hypothetically eating, we could be ingesting pathogens, we could be ingest, ingesting toxins, uh, proteins that aren't really good for us, that don't get broken down well, lipopolysaccharides, and then you talk about chemicals and additives and preservatives and alcohol and things like that. Those things get into our system, and if our gut barrier is starting to break down, which is this leaky gut that we'll probably get into here, mm-hmm. um, things are going to absorb through the gut wall that aren't supposed to. Mm-hmm. And when they get into the bloodstream, they are foreign to the human body. 
and the immune system has to over has to react to those because you know those cells go around like pac-man and they're looking for foreign invaders exactly mm-hmm. and if they don't recognize and it's not self-tissue they're going to start attacking it mm-hmm. so we can get copious amounts of inflammation in the body as a result of things that if our immune or if our gut barriers breaking down and then the gut itself is also known as the second brain so things like uh, your neurotransmitters for example are synthesized a lot of them are synthesized in the gut these are dopamine serotonin acetylcholine are kind of feel-good neurotransmitters Um, we also get conversion of a thyroid hormone uh, from t4 to t3 and about 60% of that conversion happens in the gut. So we can have thyroid issues, we could have brain issues, right? We can have inflammation. So those are just some. The other things that will happen is as we eat foods, we're breaking them down. If we're not breaking them down properly in the stomach and passing them into the simpler forms into the small intestine, we might not be absorbing nutrients properly. So those, those nutrients should absorb through the intestinal wall and then at the cellular level, they should assimilate into the cell to be used as, as energy. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times, if we have gut compromise, that's not going to happen, and we're going to have malabsorption that can take place. So there's a number of things. We hit, hit on a few of them, but that's the general gist of it. And so you've been talking about leaky gut. Yeah. What is leaky gut? Okay. Just the sound of it is disgusting. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> it is, right? So the synonym for that is something called intestinal permeability. So... Basically, in my small intestine, it's a, it's a tube. It's a long, hollow tube. And the lining of that is designed microscopically to have what they call tight junctions. They're very tight. Uh, say the cells line up very tightly together. What should happen is our glucose, our fats, and our, and our uh, amino acids, proteins broken down into amino acids, should absorb through there. There are small molecules that are able to absorb through there. However, when we have, if it's inflammation or infections or things like that going on, the, those tight junctions start to widen. And when they widen because of those causes, we're going to allow other things to get through there, like the pathogens, the toxins, and things like that. So that's a very real, that used to be theory, but that's a very real problem. And we see it consistently with our chronic patients. With most patients, I would say to some degree, have this leaky gut, and there's variables to it. It could be wide open, or it could be still tight, but certain things are getting through there. Does age have anything to do with that too? The older we get, we get we have a more. more Yeah, I think I have I have an opinion on that. I think age is related to the number of issues we have, (laughs) right? So what I mean by that is, I personally believe. The age thing is overrated. I believe that as we get older, we start to break down more and more. Mm-hmm. Usually because of either the positive things we fail to do or the negative things we do to the body. And then we get this breakdown, say in the gut. And then as we age, then we have more inflammation. We have more issues. And then that creates the degenerative process or more leaky gut, if you will. But I personally believe that whether you're 60 or 20, if you do the right things, I think your gut health could be good, your inflammation could be low, your degeneration in the body could be low, et cetera. Is that, is that yeah, answering? Yeah, no, it that does, helpful? and thank you. Yeah. And it's true. It's really how we're living our life. That's exactly and, right. And age is really just a matter of, I personally believe we see problems as people age, 
because I feel they that's because they've had it have these things longer and their body just can't adapt anymore. And so we start to see symptoms as a result. Okay, that yeah. makes sense. Um, so you mentioned a little bit earlier the gut-brain connection. What Can you talk further about that? Yeah, for sure. So again, one of the things that happens with the gut, okay, just as an example, is the inflammatory process, right? So when we start to get these high, and when I say infl- inflammation, there are... are reactions when we attack something, right? So say, you know, there's a toxin that has leaked through the gut into the bloodstream, my immune system or my Pac-Man go along and they go, ooh, I don't like that. So it attacks it. The byproduct of that attack is going to be uh, something called inflammatory cytokines, prostaglandins, they call them, not to get too technical, but let's call them inflammatory reactants, right? And they circulate around in the body. Now there's another barrier system in our body called the blood-brain barrier, okay? And it, it basically gets compromised in a very similar fashion that the gut gets compromised. The junctions start to widen. And those inflammatory agents, if you will, start to get through the blood-brain barrier, and now they're going to affect our brain. So inflammation is the number one detriment to the brain. They, they call it microglial activation where we, we have these cells in our brain that are supposed to protect us, but when, when they're stimulated because of this inflammatory response, they actually start to turn against us, mm-hmm. and we get what they call microglial priming. So when that happens, um, it's, how would I put it? It's precursors, if it's there long enough, to things like dementia and Alzheimer's and things like that. But then when you go back and you look at the synthesis, uh, sorry, of um, neurotransmitters from the gut, like serotonin, dopamine, acetylcholine, we start to lose or decrease those when we have compromised gut. So now those things that, those neurotransmitters that help us with motivation and looking at the world with this, oh, I've got this, you know, type of of feeling, Mm -hmm. we start to get a decreased amount of those and then the brain, you know, just starts to, we get, we lose motivation, we can have brain fog, we could start to have problems with word recall, etc. Those are signs that there's probably an inflammatory or microglial priming going on in the brain. And that can be directly related to the gut and the inflammation that's created, plus the lack of nutrients too. So the brain needs glucose, it needs oxygen. When, when we're not, uh, when that gut's not working well, a lot of those things along with vitamins and minerals that are needed, start to get uh, deficient and can affect the brain as well. But is it reversible? That's great. Yeah, good question. Uh, I, so I tell patients that most of the time, now we have to do some, some neurological testing and, and we may even uh, go in and look at MRIs and things like that, uh, depending on the level of what they're presenting with. But I, I personally, in my experience, 15 years of doing this, I think it's more of the the sun is there. There's a lot of clouds that are in the way of the Mm -hmm. sun. So if we take away those clouds or causes, right, and regulate this this body better, uh, the clouds can disperse and then the rays go, ah, right? And then the brain, that's exactly right. (laughs) And the brain starts to work better. Now, I will say this as well. The research is really clear and they're they're doing more every day on, on the neurons in the brain that they still feel like you can't regenerate 
a brain neuron, right? Mm -hmm. However, there is, there is a, a process called neuroplasticity where those neurons, even though there's a degenerative neuron, say, right, the neurons can develop new pathways around the degenerative neuron. Really? Okay, so the problem, if we back up and we think, okay, there's all these causes in place, that won't happen because it's going to degenerate more than new synapses can be formed. Does that make sense? Yeah, so if we go a couple steps back, which in this alternative world is always the key, you're not looking at the brain necessarily. That's the outcome. We're looking at the causes. Mm -hmm. So if we can go four or five steps back and start getting inflammation regulated and the causes of, of inflammation, we start getting gut health better. We start cleaning up some of these areas. Now we give the brain the best environment that's conducive to healing and it's conducive to that neuro, what they call neuroplasticity, where the nerves or neurogeneration, the, the nerves are just going to start um, having new synapses that bypass the degenerative the key is not letting it get too far. It's like having a clogged freeway and then finding a new freeway that's wide open. That's exactly right. That's okay. a great, I'm going to use that. That's good. That's <laughs> I just good. gave that to you. That's good. good. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I get, I get lost in the, de in the heavy duty stuff, but that's a great analogy. That's exactly what happens. So our bodies have the ability to do that, but it needs an environment that's conducive to allowing that to happen. And that's the going backward, that's, finding the root cause. That's exactly. And, and the there gut, could be many. There could be. Yeah. But the gut, I, I just feel like when I work with a patient, I'm looking for two to three things right off the bat. Their gut health and, and if there's inflammation in their body. Okay. Because in my opinion, inflammation is pretty much the root of all disease, mm -hmm. right? And de the degenerative process. The gut is one of the main foundations, right, to, to that inflammation and or to just general health overall. So if we can just, you know, from a food standpoint, clean up the foods, get the gut regulated, make sure there's no infections, make sure the leaky gut and all these things can be tested too, um, and, and then work on it and then retest. Yeah. Know that that gut's working well, the inflammation's down, the foods are going in. Those two things right there, you have a good foundation for moving forward and creating a maximizing the upside mm -hmm. yeah so this is great information and um we're gonna have to take a quick break sure. so uh, we'll be right back and stay with us dr Rowe. looking for healthier snack options mother's market sources organic and non-gmo small batch high quality great tasting nuts dried fruits snacks and candy the goal to provide you the highest in quality snacks while also offering high nutritional value Fan favorites include non-GMO peanut butter pretzel bites, organic dried mango slices, and organic dark chocolate peanut clusters. Stop into your local Mother's Market today to explore all the varieties and pick some up to try for yourself. Let's talk menstruation, perimenopause, menopause, and postmenopause. These shouldn't be taboo topics. They're the normal life phases we move through as women. And Solaray delivers support every step of the way with Her Life Stages. The first of its kind comprehensive new supplement line offers doctor formulated solutions at each stage with clinically backed ingredients you can count on. Own the stage. Buy Solaray at Mother's Market today. Welcome back to the Mother's Market podcast. And we want to remind you that if you missed any portion of today's show, you can find us on iTunes by searching Mother's Market or download the show from our website, mothersmarket.com. Click the link for podcast and listen to past shows. 
Plus, download our healthy recipes and money savings coupons. All available at mothersmarket.com. And now back to our interview with Dr. Roni. And we've been talking about gut health. It's been so interesting. And so, Dr. Roni, what are the are there tests that can identify all of these? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, starting with the stomach, something like H. pylori, mm-hmm. right? That's a, a, a test. It could either be a stool test. Uh, the top two are stool testing or a breath test. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times when there's H. pylori, a bacteria is going to feed and then it's going to create gases and one of them's urea and so there's a, a breath test that can be done at the lab a lab core or quest or something like that that tests for that component and if it's there it, it typically indicates a positive finding the stool test can also identify that as well um, looking at uh, testing for the gut in general. One of the things that we do a lot is send out for stool testing. And it's a little bit, you know, a little gross, but right. <laughs> they have to collect stool, they put it in a vial, they send it uh, to the lab, and the lab will test for the one that we use over a hundred different things. So it goes from parasites to worms to viral infections to bacterial infections. They'll test the, the microbiome to see if the levels of bacteria are, are in the ratios they should be. They call it opportunistic bacteria, which will are normally there, but they'll get higher if the gut's compromised. So it's all a, a, a check and balance system in the gut. If the bacteria levels, the good bacteria are good, then it's gonna keep everything else under wrap. Um, candida is another one we see often, candida and fungal infections. So we can test that with the stool ecology. Um, we could test for food sensitivities. So one of the labs that we do, uh, will what they'll do is they'll test uh, both cooked and raw foods right so a lot of the testing that's done is just raw foods now when we eat raw foods our our end the enzymes in the food can break down that food rather easily but when we cook it we cook out the enzymes so a a raw food will have a different effect on the body a lot of times than a cooked food meaning the cooked will be worse and I'll give you an example. Raw eggs, about, according to the one lab we use, which is one of the tops in the country, about 6% are affected or sensitive to raw eggs. About 50-some percent, plus or minus, are sensitive to cooked eggs. Interesting. Because the protein changes when it's cooked. And proteins are usually, when we're talking food sensitivities, proteins are usually the problem. Mm. Okay? So, and not to get too into this, but say gluten. Right? We hear that gluten-free and things like that. Here's the thing with gluten, and I always say this because people are like, is this a fad? Gluten, the way it's farmed, the, the way wheat is farmed these days, it's hybridized, it's genetically modified, and they do that to protect it from weather and make it last longer and do all these things to it, right? Mm-hmm. The, the problem is once it is processed and it's delivered in the food form, it's now different than it ever was. So studies have shown that there could be up to 28 new proteins that are delivered in that modification process or hybridization process. Well, the human body doesn't have time to adapt. So we don't have the right enzymes to break down that gluten or transglutaminase molecule. So it becomes a undigested protein. And that's the problem. So when we start talking food sensitivities, if a protein getting broken down into single amino acid form, it is, it is very non-insulting to the human body. 
But when it is not broken down and it's in amino acid clump, and that's what happens with the, um, the new gluten, if you will, our immune system will look at that and it doesn't recognize it, so it's going to attack it. So it's a high inflammatory protein. Dairy is another one, mm -hmm. same idea. So back in the day, we used to, I might be getting off topic, but it's, no, he it's helpful. No, this is interesting, yeah, thank you. Back in the day, we used to, when we farmed, the, the cow's milk, right? Mm -hmm. Free roaming, free range, everything. Milk delivered, raw mm -hmm. milk. Raw milk has live enzymes in it. So the casein protein that's in milk is already difficult for a human body to digest because it's just a different species. It has a different biochemical makeup, etc. But when we pasteurize it, we heat it up to a degree where we cook out a lot of the live enzymes. So now our body has to deal with that protein without the live enzymes helping it break down, mm. and that becomes a problem. So wheat, uh, wheat and dairy are two of those proteins that when we ingest them, they're not broken down into that single amino acid form because of those two, re you know, two or three reasons. And then it becomes insulting to the digestive system from an inflammatory standpoint. So hopefully that, but that's, those are why food sensitivities, testing raw and cooked are a big deal because it gets changed. So that's one that we'll do often as well. And that's fascinating. Actually, it led to my next question about how concerned should we be about food sensitivities and mm -hmm. what you just brought up a really good point just because of how in this day and age, look how things are so different in the way that the cows and that, you know, pasteurizing and everything. So exactly. Yeah. So what I what I typically do for a lot of patients without getting too deep, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll have a, a just a general plan for them, meaning mm -hmm. we're going to start less conservative. And what I do is I'll put them on this plan of if you can't pick it or chase it. So think of that. If I'm on a deserted island, what could I eat? Mm -hmm. I, could, I could hunt something down and kill it and eat it. Or I can walk around and just pick berries and fruits and vegetables if I, if I had to. I could, you know, avocados, etc. Things that are, that are there in its most natural form. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, most of those, right, are going to be pretty good for your body. Okay, uh, and we'll take away the big things like the glutens, the grains, the soys, the dairies, um, and what, what we would call unfermented soy. And those are the, the most um, insulting to the body. So I may start somebody there and then see how they do. Because as we may talk about this more, I may put them on a four R's program. And the four R's program is I'm going to remove offensive foods that are researched for most people to be a problem. And we just talked about them, right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to look for infections in their digestive system and see if I can get rid of those, or if they have them, then work to get rid of those. And then I'm gonna replace, so we're gonna get digestive enzymes for them, and maybe a little hydrochloric acid if we feel they need it. But the enzymes are designed because of the cooked foods that we eat, it cooks the enzymes out. So I always use the, the example, if I cut an apple in half and just left it there versus cooking an apple, the cooked apple is just going to stay there. It's going to last a very long time. But the raw apple is going to oxidize because the live enzymes there create a chemical reaction with the oxygen, and it's going to basically biodegrade. Okay. So if we're eating a lot of cooked foods, which we do, 
it's a good idea to take digestive enzymes to help break down the proteins, the carbs, and the fats, because as they get broken down in the stomach, getting them into the small intestine in their most simplest form is the most, le- or I should say, let me back up, the least insulting to that gut, right? That balances That's that exactly solution. right. Okay. That's exactly right. And then we'll get into re-inoculating. We'll get into pre and probiotics, right? Mm -hmm. And a prebiotic, a lot of people ask, it's just really a little bit of food for the probiotic. So the probiotic needs a little something to to work right. So we're gonna get that microbiome better. And then the fourth stage of this is to help repair that leaky gut. Mm -hmm. But here's the critical mass here. We can't repair the leaky gut if there's infections and inflammation already present. So it becomes a Band-Aid, which that's what I see a lot. Oh, I'm doing that. I'm, I'm taking this. Yeah, but you have these infections and you have this over, overriding inflammatory response, which created the leaky gut in the first place. Right. So unless we, again, it's all about, okay, that's a byproduct. We have to get back here and fix some of the front end, and then we'll have a better chance of healing. Yeah. It, it's a little bit, that's a little deeper understanding of this whole thing in like a step-by-step format, mm-hmm. but that gives you a good idea of, from gut to small intestine uh, of what we try to do from a, a four-hour standpoint. That's interesting. That's good to know and, and a little easy to kind of get. Yeah, if we yeah just and I'll, it's, it's, re, it's remove, replace, re-inoculate, repair. Okay. So the four R's. Right. Thank you. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about stress and how mm. can stress affect the gut health? Very good one. Okay. So stress in general, okay, as, as it relates to the gut. But overall, it's, it's really one of the, the biggest problems because there's an umbrella there, right? The umbrella is chemical, physical, and emotional. So when we start to get stressed and we get overridden by stress, we're going to turn on our sympathetic nervous system, okay? So there's two main uh, nervous systems of the autotomic nervous system. One is called your fight or flight. Mm-hmm. The other is called your rest and digest. Okay. Your gut is under rest and digest. But when you're stressed, we increase our sympathetic response, which is your fight or flight, which turns on, I mean, cortisol increases, right? We get a, we get a lot of, we get a lot of biochemical changes that happen. But one of the things that happens, it affects our stomach greatly because it increases the acid production. Oh. So it, it predisposes us to peptic ulcers or duodenal ulcers or things like that. That's Mm -hmm. one of the aspects of stress. However, the stress response also increases the immune response, okay? So it it dysregulates our immune system. So one of the things it does is it increases those prostaglandins and cytokines we talked about, Mm -hmm. those inflammatory agents, but it also increases our T suppressor cells, which are, think about this, the T suppressor cell we don't want it to increase because that's a, it's a check and balance of the immune system mm-hmm. that if it gets overworked, it'll start calming it down a little bit, right? But if we increase our T suppressor cells, that won't happen and it, our immune system starts to get, get lower or weaker and weaker and weaker. And we see that in the gut too. There's a, there's a test we do called secretory IgA and that secretory IgA is basically how is your immune function in your gut? And when we see this chronicity going on, we'll see low levels of the secretory IgA in the gut. And it's a byproduct. 
it's I'm, I'm fighting the fight. It's like a boxer in the 15th round. It mm-hmm. just doesn't have anything left. So that immune capability, even in the gut, starts to decrease as well. How do, what about, can you talk a little bit about that secretary IgA? How do you um, administer that test? Yeah, so that that's uh, in our stool test. Uh-huh. That's one of the oh. things that they test for. Okay. They want to see some of these immune you know, the immune reactivity in the cellular environment and what's going on in there, we can almost predict that if somebody's been chronic with their gut health, that that's going to be low. Uh, And then again, it's one of those things If the gut is our barrier system, right? Mm -hmm. It, It protects us. It's no longer protecting us. So, you know, backing up, we're constantly exposed to these pathogens. We just are with, again, with eating out, and just generally what we breathe in, et cetera. And what should happen is everything should stay in a closed tube. It should get to the liver. The liver should go through what they call biotransformation and get it from a form that's not really soluble into soluble form so it can be waste out, out, right? right? And so it stays in this closed system. But when we're compromised and we have leaky gut and we have some of these other things going on, our immune system just doesn't have the fight. So these things become more, they have an opportunity because of the environment to, to fester. The best way I could put it. So, so again, if we know secretory IgA as an, is an immune component and we, ha- we look at that and we see it low, it's not necessarily doing anything directly for that. We want to get all this other, uh, these other things that we're talking about better, plus give things to regulate the immune system. That's a big deal as an early step in the process. So one of the first steps that I typically do, I'll get patients on immune regulating or quote unquote immune boosting um, supplements. That's a really good point because I, and it kind of also leads into my next question. So many people live in a crisis mode mm-hmm. stress you know where mm-hmm. it's we have so much going on so you just mentioned that immune supplement yeah uh, but what other strategies should people be taking to get gut healthy yeah good and we'll go back to let's talk about the stress yeah because the number one mitigator is going to be exercise mm. so if you think of the fight or flight response yeah. right so say we're we we're fighting a lion we get this chemistry that allows us kind of superhuman strength. Now, that's, an, that's a high level of this fight or flight, right? A high example, if you will. So I either am going to fight like heck or run like heck. Yeah. If I live, right, say an hour later, I went through this energy expenditure, which means I burned off a lot of that stress response, the chemistry. So now I'm back to rest and digest. I'm back to the parasympathetic equilibrium. So it was a good thing. But if it's chronic and the stress is chronic and all these different reactions are taking place in our body, we have to have something to mitigate that response. The number one way is what we'll call high intensity, short burst exercise. So as an example, I get on a treadmill and I warm up and I may sprint. This is personally what I do. I'll sprint at level 12 for a minute. Mm-hmm. And then I'll jog for 30 seconds for about six, uh, uh, excuse me, at about six for 30 seconds. So I'm still, my heart rate's still up, mm-hmm. but I'm taking a little breather and then I'll sprint again and jog and sprint and jog. And I do that for 10 minutes. So the research clearly shows high intensity exercise, about seven to 10 minutes can mimic the fight or flight response and burn off a lot of that chemistry. Now it has a ton of other 
great advantages as well. It's anti-inflammatory. It helps the adrenal glands, etc. But as it relates to this, it's very, very good to mitigate that stress response and burn off a lot of that chemistry. It's the number one way. Now, there's other things. Obviously, if we eat right, that's, that's going to help as well. And then identifying, because if we're talking, I'll back up, if we're talking about chemical, physical, and emotional stressors, we kind of have to break those down, right? So chemical stress, if you will. Chemical stress, eating better is going to take away a lot, and organic, if we have skin, whatever has a skin that we're going to consume from a fruit and vegetable, that's the priority, because we want to get rid of those herbicides, fungicides, um, and, and chemicals, and, and so forth that are on there. And that will help reduce the chemical response, right? We could also put better lotions and creams and things like that that, that aren't getting through our pores. I mean, there's a lot of strategies there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you have that chemical. Physical, I tell people, do, do your meditations. Do, you know, as a chiropractor, I always tell people chiropractic care, massage therapy, you know, working out, meditation, uh, et cetera, are, are gonna help uh, extremely uh, well. And then the, the emotional part, if we can identify and sometimes we, can, we, we know what's going on stress-wise, but we really can't um, change it. Mm-hmm. So that's when you just have to know, okay, I can't change it. I have to adapt to it. Yeah. And that's what all these strategies are about. But again, e- emotionally, seeing somebody and talking about some of the issues, sometimes just communication is a, is a big deal. Community groups, yeah. right? Finding other people that are going through similar things. There's, uh, there's strength in those numbers. And, and the research... Uh, proves it. Like I said, meditation, prayer, uh, etc. So you can go through chemical, physical, and emotional stressors and have ways that you can mitigate it as much as possible that will lessen your chances of having a gut issue or a chronic disease in general overall. That's great. Uh, great information on this, uh, especially that meditation part and people, Mm. yeah, just getting it out there and talking to people. Yeah, you have to, you have to take time for yourself Mm -hmm. uh, these days because the insults are overwhelming. They come from (laughs) everywhere. They really do. And you think, oh my gosh, this is so much to do, but you kind of chunk it down. And we try to help the patients when they come in, understand where they are Mm -hmm. and, and try to help them implement these strategies. And I use, um, I use this analogy where if you think of a pizza pie, right? It has, usually they have eight slices. Some, you could cut it into four slices, what have you. Some people need four slices, meaning they need to do exercise, stress mediation somehow, take supplements, use chiro care, use massage therapy, whatever. Some need to do eight things. Some may even need to do 12. So what we try to do is look at where they are, try to examine them as to these the research known causes to problems evaluate them as it relates to them do they have these gut issues do they have liver do they have infections do they have not that everybody does but if they do then we go and just address each one step by step with them and it's a nice formula that we just start checking things off the box and it allows their health to expand and give that body a chance. And this is one of the critical things that I talk to people about. The body is a really good self-healing organism. It really is. We don't, I don't think we give it enough credit, but it is. As long as we take away a lot of the causes, we can, we can create a system where the cellular environment is healing faster than it's breaking down. And that in general is anti-aging. 
That's mm-hmm. the that's anti-aging. I, I use this example. There's there's a quarterback in the NFL, right? I don't know if the listeners will know anything about this, <laughs> but but his name's Tom Brady. He's 42 Perfect. years old, right? And he's literally just playing as well as he's ever played. It's true. The formula that he implements is all of this, uh-huh. right? So at the at the end of the day, he eats really really clean. His workouts are really really good. He takes the right supplements. He takes that time, applies it to his body, and what's happening is he's playing like a 25 year old yeah. because the formula is allowing his body to repair and recover very very quickly, and it's slowing his degenerative process. And a big part of that is what he's doing for his gut. Mm. It's got health because of what goes in. It's so, so yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, we're all tired of seeing him win the NFL. Oh, uh, absolutely. <laughs> trust me. So let's not. No, I'm, I'm an Eagles kidding, fan. So, <laughs> so trust me. Uh, you know, I'm I'm just tired of seeing the guy. I know. But I mean, it's I respect the heck out of him. You though. know, and I I love that you brought that up because we're like, why doesn't he go away? But yep. that's the reason why. That's He's exactly <laughs> right. <laughs> we all need to live like Tom Brady. Yep. Um. So if I have some of these issues, how long would it take to heal my gut? Yeah. Uh. Well. It's, it's I, I know people don't like to hear this, but it's very individualized. Okay. So it depends on how much is going on and, and where they are with their overall health as well. Uh, but if, if people just generally get rid of the bad stuff that goes in, that's gonna be help, helpful. You know, take some of those things with the four R's program. Yeah. A lot of people can do well with those strategies getting some exercise in and so forth. Because one of the things that happens too with exercise is I say I eat poorly. I'm gonna burn that up fairly quickly and it doesn't have a chance to kind of do the damage that somebody that's sedentary and eating poorly will do, right? So the exercise does, that's not, a, that's not an excuse to eat poorly. I wanna, <laughs> I wanna make that clear. But it does help the process. So if, if we do good in, take some things that help with the four R's program, you know, digestive enzymes, good probiotics, the repair you know, part of it, uh, do the exercise, a lot of times that's gonna help tremendously. Now, again, if people are doing that and they're not getting anywhere, that's when we have to go in and start doing testing and really, really detectively go in and try to figure out what else could be going on. And that's where they might need a clinician to, to, be, to really guide them through that process. Because it does get, I mean, I explained a lot yeah. so far. It, does, it can get complex, but it just depends on what the patient brings us. Yeah. But I will tell you, something like leaky gut, extreme leaky gut, uh, and infections like candida and things like that, they can be difficult to overcome. It may take months and months and months uh, to heal that. But the good thing is with patients, we, we initially find it, we put them on treatment protocols that have been proven to work, and then we can retest it. So that's the beautiful thing. We don't stop until, I don't personally don't stop until that thing comes back clean. And now I know their gut is working really, really well. But again, we can go right back into that problem if some of these other, the inflammation's not you know, regulated and they're not changing their eating habits and they're not exercising and they're not doing some of these things that are gonna keep that gut clean, it can go right back. So I, I see patients that say, well, I've done that and I've done this. And, and I think looking at their, their big picture, they've kind of tried to band-aid things yeah. and, and no fault to them because they're trying to do things, they're trying to help themselves, but it's the totality of it that, that really helps. And I know that stinks because that's a lot of effort by the person, 
But if they want to get to that other side, sometimes it's going to take quite a bit of time. But for a lot, you know, it could be fairly easy to just either prevent or restore. It's the chronic people that we see. So unfortunately at the clinic, we, we see some of the people that have been to a lot of places and they've been suffering for quite some time and just not getting the results. So those are the patients that are just, it's gonna take a little more time. That's probably long-winded, but. No, but, I mean, but yeah, you have to be specific there. And I, this has been great information. I just wanna say in that wrap up and closing, yeah. Can you go over the four R's? Oh yeah, time? yeah, for sure. So the first R is remove, okay. and that has two head, two subheadings. We want to remove the foods mm -hmm. that are most um, insulting, and we want to remove infections if present. And then we want to replace in the stomach good digestive enzymes, sometimes hydrochloric acid, to make sure the foods can be broken down properly. The third is re-inoculate. We want to get the good uh, microbiome via the good probiotics, the good bacteria. Get those strengthened so they can start uh, keep doing their job. They're like the army in there. And then the fourth one is to repair the mucosal lining from that leaky gut. Mm. Okay, perfect. So interesting and some great advice. We really appreciate your knowledge. We look forward to having you on again. But in the meantime, you can also get more information on Dr. Roney. The website is centerfornewmedicine.com. And we look forward to your next visit. Yeah, thank you. It was a pleasure. At Mother's Market. The advice and informational content does not necessarily represent the views of Mother's Market and Kitchen. Mother's recommends consulting your health professional for your personal medical condition. 